Well, so like early season, it all dictates uh, what lakes they're on up here. So it's weird, like freshwater shrimp is a prime food source. There's all kinds of aquatic vegetation and snails, but like you'll notice ducks and geese pounding a sandhills lake for a week and then you try to set up on them and you're like shit they're half of them are gone you know like where'd they go i'm hunter jordan i'm colin blaylock and welcome to the great lakes experience today's episode is brought to you by shifty seasoning from all the way from vegetables to any wild game you could think of shifty's as you covered Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two. We have a very special guest with us today, Jimmy Childers of Goosebusters LLC from Nebraska. Jimmy, how's it going today? Good. How are you guys doing? We're, pretty good. We're doing good. We're excited to have you on. Um, this should be pretty epic. I'm super. So I heard Colin was saying today was the last day over there. Oh. Yeah, uh, my feelings are hurt. I had to put the decoys away for the last time. How'd it go? But it was a blast. We uh, we smashed the greenheads, and we shot some big honkers. Had my uncle come down. He's 71, and he's hunted ducks twice. And today, he was just all smiles. That's, that's killer. That's always super sweet when you can get, like, your older family members like that. It's a good day. I mean, it's a good yeah, day regardless, but when you smash the birds on something like that, it makes it 10 times better. Oh, yeah. Was your little kid out there, too? No, the boys are at school today. After the COVID schedule, they had to wear masks again. Ooh, that's never fun. But I got to do it every day at class yeah, here. They so. make us wear them, too. But I didn't wear no mask. It's a grand time. So did you guys hunt the pit on the river this morning? Yeah, I actually got to put out my full spread uh, of water set. Uh, the river finally opened back up. Man, the ducks were just falling to the decoys. It was beautiful. That's so epic. Hunting out of those pits out there, I got to tell you, it's probably what I look forward to most every year. Just seeing the birds work out there is nothing like I've ever seen before. Obviously, hunting with you adds to it. You're a class act to have in the pit. So... It's always a riot. Well, I appreciate you guys coming, man. It's a good time for me to have have fellow hunters for yeah. a change. Hopefully, maybe next year we can make it a little bit longer than just the short two days. Drive out 16 hours, hunt a couple days, have a riot. Yeah. Of Need to find some roosters. Yeah. We bust out four of them this year, but nothing like it was last year. And, and Peyton wants to get a grouse. You got to get Peyton a grouse. Yeah, I kind of fumbled it on that one with that Sharpie. He was kind of upset. I thought it was a hen. <laughs> it happens. So what have you guys been up to? You been hunting? Um, we haven't been hunting much. We've been doing some, some serious ice fishing. Yeah, it's kind Ooh. of – everything's closed besides if you want to go shoot some squirrels and rabbits or you need to preserve for some pheasant. What, what have you been catching through the ice? Bluegills. Yeah. Gills, crappie, a few perch mixed in, maybe a few tip-ups for some break. But we've been hammering the gills. Fishing's been kind of finicky compared to usual, but we're still icing them, so can't complain. Yeah. I took my boy, uh, my son, Coy, last weekend. 
we went to a private Sandhills Lake and he caught a crappie. It was the only fish we caught all damn day, but it was a beautiful fish. It was almost two pounds. Ooh, he smells a stud. That's a, that's a wall hanger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was 15 inches. Exactly. Dude, that's that's, that's a, a copy and a half right I there. I mean, if you're going to catch only one fish a day, that's a good fish for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were pumped. It was worth the drive. So how much ice do you get out there right now? What's that? How much ice do you guys have out there right now? Oh, there was probably nine inches the other day. Okay. But so there's some open water here and there that is, is kind of sketchy in spots. Yeah, you guys are supposed to supposed to be getting hit with like a gnarly cold front in the next few weeks. Yeah, I saw that the super deadly cold. Yeah, like negative thirty or something. I saw. That's gonna send things out. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'll just lock everything down. So with the season Look. coming to kind of a close for you and. Obviously, you're not running any more clients. What's kind of your uh, agenda until next season? Well, mostly <laughs> have some fun for the last few weeks. I think I'm going to take the boys and a couple of their buddies down there at least one more time. And uh, after that, it's just plum cabin season. Yeah. Did you guys have a pretty good season this year? How'd it go? It was good at times, and then, like you say, some days it's just like, wow, where'd they go? Yeah. It was re- it was real weird. Like, the birds were ultimately the smartest ever, I think. And then, like today, I can't explain it, man. They <laughs> they just came on in. It was. I think that's I think that's so crazy how that's a day to day thing. Like one day you'll get birds that will see the decoys and absolutely freak out, and then. The next day, they'll just dump in, like you were saying. That 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 kind of stuff blows my mind. It's like you have a force field around you, <laughs> and they, they get to the force field, and they're like, ah. And then for like every fourth, third, fourth day, the, the force field would lift, and yeah, it would be magical again. Hunting out there is insane too, because it's nothing like we got around here. Yeah. Here in Michigan, I mean, you guys see more birds in a morning than we do pretty much our whole season, especially duck-wise. So I just think that's insane how many ducks you guys hunt on a daily basis and just how – I mean, those pre- the birds that you guys hunt out there are so pressured day in and day out. To be able to yeah. pull them every day is impressive. And if you think of, like, the length of the rivers, they go the entire state length, right? Yeah. You, you kind of got to envision that as, like, a current and the birds are fish. So one day you might have a mass that was in Torrington, Wyoming, or it might be in Omaha or Lincoln. They move up and down that so much. It's, it's just like, when are they going to bite? You know, it's almost like fishing. Yeah. One day they bite, and then the next day, it doesn't matter what you're fishing with, <laughs> they're not going to bite. Yeah. So like when you're in a day where you can't, where you can't get them to commit or do anything. Is there any, like, is there anything you have, like, like tricks up your sleeve that you do to, like, at least get a few out of them? Or are you pretty much just toast? Well, there's always the, I got to move this. I, I got to move that. You know, there's there's that routine. 
<clears throat> there's a, oh my God, we need 70 spinners. And then it's get them all out of there. They're flaring birds. But I'll tell you the last few times we were down there, pressured birds, decoy shy, call shy. It was weird. I put five spinners out one day and just like a light switch, birds were landing on me again. That's and so I'd been running two, you know, two, three all season. Oh, it's nuts. Because I remember the first year we hunted out there with you, we were, I think the first morning we ran three or four spinners. And yeah. Each duck that we finished, it was just right on top of them. Like they wanted nothing other than those spinners. Then we got out there this year and I don't know, the spinners the first day really didn't produce much. And then we put them out the next day and it was like that light switched again. And I know it's that old ad addition, you know, of like when you're fishing in your buddy's boat, he's catching walleyes like mad and all you're doing is back there drinking beer and you can't hook the bastards with the same jig head he had. <laughs> That's how that works. Yeah. It's fish, fish, fish bite, different days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So tell us, tell us a little bit about how you, about you, I guess. And like, when did you, how long have you been guiding? I guess would be my first question. I think this is my uh, third or fourth year. Okay. I have a bad memory. But yeah, for for sure, pretty solid for three years. Okay. So then how how did you, what made you say, I want to start guiding? Well, <laughs> I lost my job for one. And my wife was like putting the crunch on me saying, well, how are you going to afford this if you don't even have a job? And I said, well, baby, I can't give this up. So I'm going to have to figure out how, how, to, how to pay for my leases uh, at the same time upgrades where people want to come back and, and use quality equipment, you know? And yeah. So, man, I just really worked my ass off. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I did. I can attest to that. I mean, when we're out there, you are constantly moving. And if you're not out there waterfowl hunting, I know you're doing stuff home with the kids and your wife, or you're on your cattle farm moving cattle and stuff. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a, once this season closes, it's just another season around here. Yeah. That's the way it is back here for us too. Though, is, I mean, it feels like there's no rest. <laughs> there's not really, because I mean, waterfowl, deer season, that's all in one swing. Then we yeah. jump, usually jump, hopefully right into ice fishing. Yeah. Ice fishing takes you up to spring to where probably I think is one of the most fun bass bites we have around here. And then turkey hunt starts up. So we never really yeah. take around here. What kind of turkeys do y'all have up there? We uh, just have rather regular east uh, Easterns out here. Yeah. I see. You guys got Merriams over there? Yeah. Whoa. We actually got Merriams and uh, Easterns. Oh. Yeah. And that you were telling me that the Merriams are pretty weird on, or considered to the Eastern, they uh, they roost a lot differently, correct? Yeah, they're, they're a little different bird. They're, they have definitely different habits, that's for sure. Okay. There, there, and, and this depends on where at the state you are. Like, if you go up north in the in the forest, there 
more migratory winter, spring kind of stuff like elk. And then you get down in the river system and they're like, live in your backyard kind of a deal. <laughs> like how we see them around here. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're getting to be more and more all the time. So come spring season, is uh, is turkey hunting out there kind of like your guys' duck and deer season? A lot, everybody kind of partakes in it, or is there a select few? Oh no, it's crazy! Like there'll be monsters coming from every state to shoot a Miriam's turkey. <laughs> and my myself, I don't, I, I don't really get too wrapped up in turkey season. But there's a lot of dudes that do. Yeah, because I know. I mean. Obviously, the Grand Slam, if you're really into turkeys, everybody wants to get the Grand Slam. And Merriam being pretty much probably number one or two on the list for most people that I talk to. Yeah. So I can see the appeal. I definitely want to get out there and do it sometime when I get the time on the college. Yeah, man. They're they're up there. I can point you in a direction. (laughs) There's a start. That's all it takes There's a start. So going back to waterfowl hunting and before guiding – you grew up waterfowl hunting, right? Yeah, we've always hunted. Like, uh, I remember being a little boy and, and my uncle and my dad's buddies, they would take me up and down the river. You know, we'd go hunt with this guy one weekend or my buddy's buddy from down here one weekend. So, like, I've, I've hunted here a long time. What, is, what do you think is the number one thing you've seen change the most throughout your years of waterfowl hunting out there in Nebraska? Or just in general throughout the whole country? Well, the more of the willingness of people to to come hunt, right? Like, people will travel these days. Like, we're back when I was a boy, it was, you didn't get people from way off that just wanted to come come west and, and hunt, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, just, it was just more of a, a family celebrated, we're going to do this on Thanksgiving, we're going to do this on Christmas. You know, it was one of them things. More traditional type hunting, I would say. Yeah. So now where it's kind of all socialized yeah, what's on the, social media. So what's the, Yeah, man. Once social media wrapped up, like, there's outfitters popping here and there. And, like, there's more people hunting in western Nebraska and in eastern Wyoming than, hell, I, I've ever remembered. What's the, what's the furthest you've had somebody come hunt with you? Oh, I've had guys from Maryland, West Virginia. Ooh, um, I've had them from everywhere, man, honestly. That's that's the craziest. Louisiana, Mr. Dale came. Oh, yeah. Louisiana. That is, uh, I've I mean, had North Carolina. Cool. You think about, like, that's got to that's gotta feel pretty sweet for you, too, just being, like, like as a guide, like, you, you, you hope to, like, pull people from, like, other states and stuff, but, like, when you start having them come pretty much all the way across the country, how does that, that's got to feel pretty sweet, doesn't it? Yeah. It's really awesome now that like, I know the people and I know the, they're good people, you know, Uh, Mm -hmm. they're hunters like me and obviously they're, they're passionate about it or why else would they travel that far? You know? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that is pretty, it's pretty cool. The people I've met and, and, like Mr. Dale got to shoot his first Canada goose with us. And, he, you know, he's an older gentleman. He's hunted, hunted a lot of damn birds he's killed. Oh, yeah. See the social media. See the, smile on, see the smile on his face when 
when he hammered that old rascal with that old shotgun was pretty special. Yeah. That's, I think that's the coolest part about doing all like the hunting and stuff is when just the, some of the stories that you get out of this kind of stuff is better than. Oh yeah. There's, I can, I was thinking today about all the, all the images uh, of the season, right? Like, Colin climbing around on the sandbar with his camera and <laughs> and my, my my boys wrestling out there because it's slow. You know, that, that's the stuff that you. That's what, yeah, that's what, as outdoorsmen, that's what, that's almost what we live for. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was, that was my favorite part about goose hunting growing up was it was, you didn't have to sit there and not talk the whole time. Like you, we would stand up and shoot the shit and just. And yeah. Words and it's go time. You can throw a football. Oh, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Always got to pick on somebody for sure. Oh, oh yeah. I was usually the one getting picked on. I, <laughs> I'm right there with you. But I, I mean, I was thinking today because I was thinking, what are we going to talk about on here? And imagine if that pit blind, especially the, I mean, the one I've always hunted out there with you. I know it's kind of your bread and butter. You got more than just that one, but. If that blind could talk throughout the birds it's seen, the different people. I mean, you get to hunt with some super cool people, whether it's uh, Dale from Cane Calls or Ed Wall. I mean, Ed Wall's probably one of definitely one of my biggest inspirations in waterfall photography. I mean, he just kills it. Yeah, man, he's he's a very very talented man. That's for sure. He 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 works his ass off as well. That and you know that's. That's the main thing of being successful in anything, really. And then just luck once in a while for me, actually. <laughs> but no, Eddie, he he's got it. He's got he's got his job nailed, man. He's he's the best. Yeah, that is for damn sure. So I mean, with the with the good customers, also comes bad customers, right? Yeah, we don't talk about those very much here. <laughs> 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 that's stuff we talk about in the blind hunter <laughs> okay okay i guess i'm gonna have to make a trip out there next year then you won't yeah come good. out come out with colin we have a good time it's it's I'm a damn good time i'm for it so with hunting most of the days out of the year for the waterfall season what do you think's the most important aspect that goes into a successful day location location yeah man you got to be around some birds yeah plain, yep. you know plain and simple if you're if you're not around some birds you're never going to call one i mean if if you got to drive an hour you just drive an hour because if not you're going to sit on the bank for an hour wishing they'd come your way yeah yeah i like that i like the you can sit on a bank an hour or you can drive an hour to them right so, like the guys out there that are real successful, they travel. You know, they 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 go to the birds. Yeah, yeah. So, like you think about you think about this big, massive, deadliest cold spell ever that's going to hit Nebraska, Wyoming, and everything. So it looks like a mountain coming down. So the birds are just following that edge. So you got you guys are probably never going to see a duck again. But like for me. <laughs> down here it goes up and down and 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 those those birds follow that and i think i think a hunter should should as well okay yeah 
So out there for scouting, do you guys kind of chase um, and try to find a core roost or pretty much try to find them in the fields and go based off fields or try to follow them for a roost? Well, so like early season, it all dictates uh, what lakes they're on up here. So it's weird, like freshwater shrimp is a prime food source. There's all kinds of aquatic vegetation and snails, but like you'll notice ducks and geese pounding a Sandhills Lake for a week, and then you try to set up on them, and you're like, shit, they're, half of them are gone. You know, like where did they go? Most of the time, it's just because they ate that lake out, and there's a hatch of something on the next ridge line. And that's where they go feed. So being, or being just being out there in the hills early, staying on top of what lake they're using is probably the main thing for us here. But as far as the river's concerned, it's just we need one of those gnarly cold snaps. Just drive them down there, and then they work up and down that river like a highway, depending on where they get bumped or what's cold, you know, or where they're feeding. Yeah, especially with how much open water right there is on the river. But yeah, I mean, that's how we are with the fields out here, especially once we start getting good numbers of birds outside, just the local population we kind of beat up on the first two weeks of season. If I found a good feed, I mean, I want to be on it either the next day or the day after. Um, obviously, depending on weather, because out here, if you get a sunny day, they uh, never goes well. They just don't want to come to feeds. And it makes yeah. it tricky, but I, I've always thought that the quicker you get to a feed out here, the better you're going to do. Yeah. Because it's – I feel like – I'm. I mean, correct, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like waterfowl is not something you can pattern as well as you can like other species. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like they have, they have wings, not addresses. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you're also not so, hunting the same thing throughout the entire season like you would a buck or something. Yeah. So like you, like you, you figure out, like once you figure out a, like a white-tailed buck, like you, you've got a town, you know where he's sleeping, you know where he's going to eat, and you know where he's chasing tail. Like it's game over. He's got him. But if you go to, say you watch a flock of X amount of geese laying in the same field for four days you're like okay day five we're gonna go smash them you show up day five they don't show up you see what i'm saying yeah yeah so i think that's like so do you like do you find yourself like like how many how many different spots will you like set up i guess not really like set up but like how many spots will you have on your like in your playbook for like when you have like a client booked oh man up here like early season i got dozens okay down on the river like when they and sometimes like if you catch it early enough you can hunt both places you can hunt up here on the hills when they're when they're unthawed and 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 target different species based on where they are on the lakes or down there you know you just you you can do multiple things like depending on how cold it is we have several different pits different fields corn pasture water uh we have lots of lots of options you know mm-hmm. up here the, the options are a lot better 
earlier. Yeah, that's the difference here is like we have two options usually, fields or like a small body of water. Yeah, and I mean, out there is tough in Nebraska because you guys hunt a lot of private land. We got some public land around here, but we don't really manage our public property like we should for waterfall hunting because mm-hmm. not that many, I mean, people around here would rather deer hunt public property than duck hunt. Yeah. So that makes it tough. But our fields around here, I can get somewhat of a pattern down every year because, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been hunting my hometown since I started hunting. So I can pretty much tell you which fields are going to have birds every year just because, I mean, you get core fields that are close to a roost that always produce food and the birds just always tend to hit it. Now, I can't tell you which weekend they're going to hit it, but I can pretty much tell you that it's a field that I'm going to hunt throughout the year at, at least once, if yeah. not twice. Yeah. So do you do you find there's a lot of uh, competition for like a feed there? Um, if you see it, does the, does the other waterfowler in town know about it as well? Absolutely. Yeah, it's 100%. It's crazy That's, around here because for the people that actually let people hunt, usually it's they let one person hunt because they've been effed over so much by other hunters and just like trashing their field or it's yeah. like public property. Yeah. And I guess I like to be as respectful as I can because one of my biggest mentors around my hometown was really good friends with another farmer that I could hunt. Obviously, I didn't want to go step on his foot. And I did it the right way and did whatever I could to help him out in hopes that maybe he'd help me out a little bit and not piss him off to where either I got kicked off or we both got kicked off because that obviously doesn't help for anyone. Yeah, then you're both screwed and then then what? Absolutely. I know the biggest thing for like me back home when we would try and find places to hunt is like there's like – so back home, there's like pretty much three or four families that own all of the cornfields in the adjacent three counties to my house. And if one group of dudes got like tight with one of those farmers, they had all those fields that that guy owned. So like that was that was the tough thing back home is like one farmer would own like a thousand acres of cornfield. And then if like one guy was like, hey, do you care if I goose hunt? And he's like, oh, go for it. And then like that thousand acres is like off the table now. Yeah. That, that was, hunt at all. yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the biggest thing back home was trying to find, basically just trying to find fields. And I mean, it was nice for us because we were pretty close with a lot of the families. So if there was a field that they knew the other guys weren't going to be in, they'd be like, go hit it up, go for it. Yeah. And I'm right there with you. I mean, I got, I got good connections, but it's not like once hunting season over, I'm like, see you, dude. I'm not going to talk to you until next hunting season. The biggest thing is you just got to stay close with people you want to hunt with and obviously put an effort to help them out. Just don't abuse the hunt rights. Treat it like it's yours and uh, if they ever need help on their farm, obviously be the first one to jump up and take the offer on that one. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think it's best. I talked to... I was talking to this one guy one time and he was like, he went to this farmer and the farmer got all like pissed off and was like mad that he was there because he thought he was asking for permission. And then he was like, 
No, I was actually like, I saw you like got this setup going here. It looks like you're going to do some addition. It was like high on a carpentry business. And like, if you need any help with anything, just let me know. And the guy's like, that's really great. He's like, I thought you were just coming to ask for permission to hunt. So then he finishes the job or whatever and all that stuff. And the guy's like, you don't want to come out here and hunt. He's like, you just gave me a call, okay? And it's like, boom, you're in. And nobody else will be in after that because you just helped that dude tremendously. The first farmer I ever asked for was with my older brother, Cam. And, man, I don't It might have been my summer coming to my freshman year. So, I mean, pretty young, like 15 years old. And my brother, that would make him like 16, 17, or 18, however old I was. And we drive up to this farmer's uh, barn, and they're all standing outside. I'm thinking wow this is intimidating like we're gonna walk up and get absolutely told get the hell out of here <laughs> and knowing cam back then he wouldn't say a damn thing so he was like all right you better go ask so i get out of the car and he comes with me i walk up there i'm like hey sir introduce myself colin blaylock and i was just wondering if we could hunt your one of your fields for open day early season he was like i've never been asked by somebody so young and mature, I'm going to let you hunt. And I later found out that he doesn't even let some of his own workers hunt. That's so just on that, I mean, <laughs> that gave me a lot of confidence in just knowing that if you treat people right, and a handshake goes a long way, especially in today's society. I mean, having that connection of a handshake and give them your promise that you're going to treat his hand well. Yeah. Man, for sure. So out there when you're chasing a feed or if you even find a feed, how many trucks on average do you kind of see sitting around it? Oh, it just depends on how far from a highway it is. If it's a way, if they fly, if they feed off of a, a main road, like there's only a select few people that really pay attention to be honest. Cause I know when we're driving out there, there's all those little query ponds and, lakes right off oh, the is there a lot of people that kind of set up on those roofs right there in Los and kind of chase them to their feeds no so like around here everything's mostly private land so like a lot of those just roost people leave alone uh and then like so one farmer has a bunch of ground and there'll be a really awesome roost well he won't bust them out of there so that way everybody around has pretty good hunting and they try to catch them on the corn or or back on a different piece of water, you know, in between. But for the most part, the big roosts, people kind of leave alone here just to keep birds around. That would, that's the, that's the biggest thing. It's like, uh, I mean, if you, if you go and try and like bust a roost, like those birds, a lot of those birds aren't going to come back to there. That, they're, Either they're going to migrate and push south, or they're going to hit a different roost and stay very educated. Because yeah. usually when you're hunting a roost, I mean, I try to avoid it at all costs, especially because I know, one, it screws up my other spots, and then it screws up everybody other spots. And you don't want to be that guy. Yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, no bird's worth ruining it for the rest of the season. No, exactly. Yeah, once you get a good roost going on like that, you know, you kind of got to be smart and, and uh, just eat use the edges you know and, and bump in there and just take what you can and and try to keep them around as long as possible 
Oh, yeah, because, I mean, those are cool. Every week, they could double or triple in size, depending on the birds moving through. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that would be – that's that's a huge takeaway, I guess, would be don't destroy your roost. Yeah, <laughs> hunt the fields first, even if it's running traffic. you guys run a lot of traffic out there in the fields, or do you guys try to find the X? Well, down there, we all hunt traffic pretty much at the river. Uh, up here, everybody just tries to find the X. Yeah. What would you, if you could pick one, either hunting an X up where you live or running traffic down on the river, what would you pick? In my, well, in my younger days, I'd love to hunt the X as much as I damn could. But anymore, it's like, I kind of like the challenge of trying to break them off their course. Yeah. That was, so I, I, I'd more like to call it those travelers and try to, try to deceive them in the middle of their day. Yeah. That was always the coolest thing for me was hunting was if you saw those birds that were just passing over and you just started hammering on the call and then you see like four or five of them break off and come over. That's, that, that's so insane to me that you can, do something like that. Like you can just pull an animal away from where they're going and bring them to where you're at. Oh, yeah, I mean, you're looking up at them and you give them a few, few noises down there from you. And all yeah. of a sudden you just see those wing beats start slow. And then those, you could see their heads, just their necks look like they break just to look down at you. Yeah. Actually uh, today we shot a couple of mallards full of corn. Big old craw, big old neck full of corn, and it's the first time I've seen that for a long time. Do you think you think they're coming from uh, the feed this morning, or you think they were just putting the feed bag on all week since that um, cold snap's coming in? Well, the ones this morning, they were they just ate it because I mean it, it it was in their neck, and 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 it seemed like the ones before, like if they fed all night, they'd be in the craw. Yeah. Yeah. So with running traffic, obviously calling's a huge aspect. Um, well, is calling up there with one of your favorite things to do while hunting? Oh yeah, man. It's that's like um, changing your liver when you go fishing. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to throw it all at them. So I mean, I guess. For everybody listening, when when's kind of give us a little rundown on like when to call or when not to call or if to call at all. Um, today I could show you some videos of some ducks that I never even said a word to, and they just phew, slid right on in. And then um, I always, if a bird's coming at me, I don't, I don't, I don't call at him very much. Like. I'll tickle at them a little bit, just, you know, feed a call here and there. Or, or like if, I, if it's a goose, I just moan, moan and purr at them a little bit. But I don't really, really hit them unless they go by me. Mm-hmm. That's really to me, that's, that's the number one rule is be quiet, hardly if at all if they're coming at you. But if they go past you, you got nothing to lose. Hit them on those so I always I, I always go crazy on those ones. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, a lot of times, 
those birds will show a little bit of interest when they come over. And then once they get past you, you hit them on the corner, night and day difference. They just absolutely just turn and just give it up. Yeah, and it seems like if you can get them to, to get them to break hard, you know, most of the times it's, you know, they just commit. Oh yeah, yeah. So how, like, when you, so you, you're watching them. How do you, what, at what point do you know, I've got them. They're coming in. Mm, uh, I don't know if you ever really do until they're about five foot over the water. See <laughs> <laughs> down. Yeah, pretty much. If you can really see the orange feet and they're just bam, you, you know you got some stuff happening. But as far as if I got them, there's been I can't tell you probably a thousand times this winter I reached over and grabbed my gun because like you know you got those boogers, and then you ah you slap that sucker back and just <laughs> like that they're gone. Yeah, that's what's crazy to me is how like. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't think they'd be so attuned to what's going on as fast as they're flying, especially for ducks, as fast as they're flying circles around you, they're like how well how keyed in they are what's happening below them. Oh yeah, those green green wing teal you guys got out there, they have some huge flocks. And I mean they buzz up and down the river. I can let Jimmy talk about it. And it's probably they're still here and they're, I don't think they're ever leaving. That's not, I mean, since the season's done, you can't shoot them anymore, but those things are fun to shoot. They're, I mean, it's like hitting those tiny little clay pigeons that are coming by you 90 miles per hour. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'll never forget the first time I saw green wings come in. We were, like, I've told Colin this before, but most of the time, when we like had ducks come in, like they just showed up by chance. We never targeted ducks back home. It was always goose hunting for us. And I'll never forget the first time it was like the absolute ass crack of dawn and these green wings come in and I've never seen birds fly so fast in their life. It was insane. Oh yeah. <laughs> they were just like gone. You'd see them for a sec and they just, you just hear them. They'll catch you with your pants down even if you're ready. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So going back to calling, what was the first call you learned how to duck call and then the first call you learned how to goose call on? Okay, so my goose call, the first call I ever learned how to call on was a a big river flute. Uh, One of the old ones? Yeah, a long old flute. Um, Just chewed on that baby. (laughs) And then after... After I got really super good with that, I just, I switched to uh, a short read uh, zinc, I think it was. Uh, one of, I think it might have been a, I don't remember what it was. It was a zinc, though. Mm-hmm. And then I really liked that forever, and then I lost the guts out of it, and then it just, the musical carousel began with the goose calls. And as far as ducks, I think I learned on my grandpa's call. Yeah, that's how, I mean, it's it's almost like the first call you learn on is one that got passed down to you from somebody. Yeah, it's a war out. doesn't have a label on it. It's wooden. I I, I stopped hunting with it because I, I lost it. You know, it came apart and I lost the guts once. And I hunted for ever. And I actually found the other half of it. 
And so after that, I put it down in the gun case and I haven't hunted with it since. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be but she still purrs like a kitten. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like those older calls always, they just sound so good just because they're so uh, broken in. The breeds have seen it all, especially if you haven't changed them. Oh, yeah. But I remember my first dog call was a Mallard. It was a Buck Gardener. I think Magic Mallard or something. Cheap little <laughs> ten buck call, but you can you bet Cam and my dad told me to show up a few times, and <laughs> yeah. it's resulted in me uh, still blowing the shit out of them. But yeah, yeah, those kids, they can't take you get a you get a kid with a call that they got to blow on that rascal. Oh yeah, and there's no better way to learn than in the field. Yeah, my my wife has told my boys I don't know how many times. Outside, outside. <laughs> a lot of times, like I'll just be driving around, I'll just pick it up. It's right in the cup holder next to <laughs> the center console. Yeah, man, me too. I like uh, Patrick gave me a um, a cut down from Rolling Thunder. It's the brute. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to master that. So I I do the same thing. I have it here in my cup holder off my lanyard, and I'm always yapping on that sucker. I, I, was, I I'm getting a little better, but I I think I might spook ducks with this still. So those cut downs are a whole different animal. They're oh man, this is crazy. Just crazy. I was blowing an old modified. Uh, old when I was out there with you this year and that was yeah I think that's the most I've blown it since I got it was out there but you know like the guys that can really blow those and are really good man I, I give it to them because it isn't easy I think they have the best sound on bottom end out of any duck call maybe it's, uh, yeah I just I've tried blowing them when you've got a few times and I just I can't do it I don't understand it <laughs> I don't think I'd ever pick one up if I didn't watch R&T growing up. I wanted to be like Jimbo so bad. I would do anything to yeah. be able to blow a cut down like Ian. Yeah, and they say, like, the guys that are good at it say you need to just change your mind and, and realize it's a different tool and you got to blow it a different way. And I, I keep hoping that I'll figure it out. <laughs> it's going to be that one thing where you're, like, haven't blown it for couple weeks and you're like screw it let me pick it up and then you go to blow yeah. damn that sounded pretty damn good i like this yeah i found that with like a lot of stuff that i do like sometimes you just have to like sometimes you just have to put it down and take a break from it like i know like for me like it's like like playing music kind of like i'll work and work and work and work and work and work and work at this one song and it'll still just kick my ass and then, like, didn't you just set the guitar down for like a day, pick it up the next day, and it's like, oh, there it is, got it, boom, done. And it's, I hope that happens with me because I throw this bastard back in the console, like, I'll yap on it for a while, yeah, I'm done with you, and I'll throw it down. <laughs> but I just can't stop blowing on that son of a gun. Yeah, it's that's like, I can't imagine how many looks I get in the school parking lot. It's, yeah. I'm just like I remember in high school a teacher thought I was vaping I was like no ma'am that's a duck call I don't vape 
But, so, uh, would what's more fun to you, hunting aspect wise, calling at them or setting the decoys? Uh, I like setting the spread because I think if you get it done right, and and for some reason you find the magic set, you don't have to call much. Oh yeah, and it makes yeah, you if, feel if, if, if any. Yeah, it, that's a that was like one of the the craziest parts of waterfowl hunting to me when we first started getting into it was like it actually matters where you put your decoys. Oh yeah, because yeah. like when you see them like sitting in a field, like it doesn't look like they're in any particular order; they're just there. So like the first time, like when we first started going, we we're just like, oh, we'll just throw all the decoys out here. No. Another thing that's crazy to think about, if you, I've studied geese a lot because that's primarily what we shoot out here. In the fields, I know in Michigan, and it's kind of a trend around the country, that geese are super aggressive. So when they see a bunch of geese fielding, feeding in a field, they don't want to land at the back of the group. They want to land in front to get to that food that they haven't got to. So that's one thing to think about when you're setting a spread oh. that a lot of people never even thought about. Yeah. And yeah, they are. The, those those jokers. Some some days they do exactly what you want, and then you're like, the next day you, you think you got it figured out, and then they land a hundred yards out there. <laughs> you guys hunt some huge flocks of honkers out there too. It's nuts. Yeah, yeah. There there there's some wads around here now that that's unbelievable, man. So they saw waves of snow geese again. I, don't, I haven't seen them for a while, but man, they're back there today. So when you're when you're hunting flocks that big, like how do you know? How do you know how many decoys you should use? Like if you should put out more, if you should take some off the spread, or is it just so? Like for for me, it's never. Uh, I'm only going to use six. Uh, I just can't take it. Like my brain will not function knowing that there's a decoy in the trailer that isn't out in the field. Right. Like in my mentality, I'm like, <laughs> no, man, I didn't no, buy no. that bastard to sit in the damn garage. To, and it's not killing birds in the garage or the trailer. It just pulled me out here with the rest of them. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. I feel you there. And then, one thing that comes with running that many decoys is people think, oh, you can run less and make it more realistic. Well, you can run a lot and make it realistic, but being able to fit all those decoys in there and still give it a realistic look, it's tough. But yeah. you do, and it all depends it's, on has so much drawing power. Yeah, it always depends. My, my, I got a buddy, old DG, he's one of the coolest dudes I've, I've ever met in my life, but like, he 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 tells me the other day. He says, uh, "I said, well, maybe I ought to go get some more goddamn decoys out of the trailer and set out there on that ice ledge. Maybe they'll land right there, man." And he looks at me, says, "You could probably have six decoys out there." And I was like, "What are you talking about, man?" He said, "Dude, it starts with one. Like one has to land first. And man, I just sat there speechless for a while. <laughs> I guess yeah, that... like if you thought about like where we're at, like calling those, if you sat out there in that pit and you looked out there and you only had six decoys, 
would you feel silly? Oh, yeah, especially with... Absolutely. I think we saw more groups of 50 to 100 birds this year than we did smaller 5 and 10, 15 packs. I'd feel naked yeah. with only 60 boys. I, I do, too. And, like, all I think about is, like, going up the road and seeing those 10 million standing on the bank and, you know, you can't fit another... You couldn't throw a prayer in there, you know? They're so tight. <laughs> well, then you got to think about it. I mean... Their safety in numbers, especially for a bird, like mm -hmm. they're safest when they have more eyes. Oh, and, speaking of that, predator-wise today, coming home, I saw a big ass goose on the side of the highway with a bald eagle like three steps away, and that goose is bobbing his head like bring it. <laughs> yeah, I should have went back and took a, a video of it, but <laughs> you should have. That would have been sweet. I don't know. I, I, I'll bet you the, I'll bet you that damned eagle won. <laughs> <laughs> so for decoys, do you think quality matters? No, not no, I don't. I do sometimes. Quality in the back matters. Like if you have a spot where you want to land, you always put your your shiny newest beautiful decoy there. But other than that, I think in the middle and the sides that you're not wanting them to land, you could put whatever. Yeah, as we always like my to. my grandfather used to have some tires that were cut in half. They were cut in half, and he would spray paint a stripe of black or uh, white on the butt, and then have a car, uh, a plywood neck, you know, and they paint it, and they mix those around in there, and they still killed geese. Yeah, it's like we would always use we we never had like any like full bodies or like like the Bigfoots or anything like that. We always had those giant jumbo shells that we had just oh like, yeah the magnums. We had stacks of those things in the shed. Freaking yeah. love them! I used to, especially getting into it because watching all these TV shows on Duck Hunting. Obviously, they have brand new decoys almost every year, if not every other year. So I was thinking you always had to have new decoys. It really eye-opened me because when I went out and hunted with you for the first time, Jimmy, and you had those, don't want to reveal any secrets, but you had those shells. Almost every bird wanted to land on top of those shells, whether it was a duck or a goose. Oh, the shells. Yeah, man. Uh, I know some older guys that have hunted here forever, and they will run like three to four four dozen of those magnums and they slaughter geese like yeah those bastards will fly right over the top of the line dakota dozens of dakotas you know to land right on that old rascal <laughs> it's not how it works but if it's gonna work i'm gonna run them whether people give me shit for it or not oh yeah exactly. yeah i mean I, if i could find enough of those giant like dinosaur flambeaux i'd love to like have six or eight dozen of those and just nothing but those and see how well I could decoy geese. I know my buddy here that I hunt with in my hometown, they got like three dozen of those and it fills up his whole truck bed. Just those. Yeah, like, they're, they're huge, man. They're, they're awesome. I remember, I remember thinking, I was like, when, when my dad, when we first got them, we got like two dozen of them. And uh, my dad brought them home and I was like, Dude, there ain't no way in hell a goose is gonna land in these. It's like three times the size of them. But that's that's when I found out 
And then the other time I found out too was um, I bought we bought one of those. Uh, hey Hunter, Hunter, size matters, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was one of those. Uh, it was like it looked just like the shell, but it was like flip over. It was like a little. A blind. Oh, one of the goose blinds. Yeah, yeah. it was a goose, uh, goose chair. Yeah, goose chair. Yeah, for sure. And, but I never, I never knew it. But like when those birds are in the air, like they can't differentiate size. So like if you have like like a like a Bigfoot or a Dakota or whatever next to a shell, they think they look the same. That blew my mind. But yeah, I mean it's weird how they look, and then. But, at the end of the day, those shelves work. And it's not, I mean, the goose chairs work. Even the shelves, you don't even have to have the goose chair. You can just put them over the bag to your layout line and you yeah. disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you used to do that quite a bit when we were younger. Just throw a cup, one on your feet and yep. one on your chest. And when they come in, you just threw the sucker off and let them have it. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'll never forget this one time. He's, he's going to text me and yell at me because I told this story. My little brother was like, Probably. You mean mean younger brother? He'd kick your ass. Yeah, he's big. Uh, My younger brother, he would, uh, he, this one time, he was hell bent on it. He wanted to try it. So he, he got like right in front of us, or like, I can't, it must have been behind us. And he put the shell on his back and he like, he like crawled around because he thought that there needed to be a decoy moving. (laughs) So he put the shell on his back and just crawled around the field behind us. Movement, damn it. <laughs> movement works, but I think there's movement that doesn't work, too. I love Lucky Duck, but those goose flappers, I just can't seem to kill birds over them. Oh, I can't either. But here's one thing that, as an as a guide, an outfitter, like, I've learned to hide the flags, right? Like, not every man was made to be a flagger. Oh, so I got these I got these one guys that will come and like they get it man like you don't you don't want to flap them out you know like and then I got other guys my uncle for one he thinks that the flag should always be moving and and like birds will be right there on top of us and he'll be out there whipping that sucker like I gotta know like uncle's coming I gotta hide the flags or that guy's coming <laughs> from last year I need to I need to hide the flags <laughs> you know what I mean yeah so, All right. Movement's not always good, yeah. Especially, I mean, if you're moving when they're trying to finish, they're going to pick you out. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's like, I know anytime we had, like, uh, we had, like, the mojos out, we'd have duck decoys with us or whatever, but, like, those, like, if you had geese coming in, like, we always shut the mojo off. They, for whatever reason, we they would never land with the mojo with us. They're super finicky about it. I mean, whether it's here, out in Nebraska, yeah, Minnesota. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. Like I, I would say, um, you have a a ten percent chance of decoying a goose with one of them on. Yeah. Yeah. So, put you on the hot seat real quick. Oh, it's a good hot seat, though. He's ready. What's your best guide service? I mean, what's your best guide story? As far as like success, failure. 
Nope. Just if somebody asked you, what's your favorite story, favorite thing yeah. that you've ever encountered, been a part of while guiding or hunting, we'll do hunting in general too. Oh man. I can't really pin down the, the, the most awesome thing because like today, seeing my uncle murder greenheads up close to personal, that was pretty epic. Uh, I've seen some pretty awesome kid things like <laughs> uh, geese come in land and they lose it and can't hit nothing or, or, or <laughs> they forget to load their gun. I mean, I, I have so many awesome, awesome stories, but I, I will tell you this one story. So my, my wife wanted to donate a hunt. So she donated this hunt. I don't know. You can call this one of my like nightmare stories. And this guy asked me if he could bring his dog. And I said, yeah, man, you're more than welcome to bring your dog. You got a, you got a good-mannered dog? You, hell yeah, I'd lo- I, I love to see your dog work. Uh, so they come, and and this dog is whining, and he's whining, and he's whining. And that's like, drives me bonkers. Like, it's like almost having a baby cry to me. <laughs> like, after a while, you look, you got to step away, right? So these birds come in, wham, 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 wham. These guys lay into these geese and one sails clear across the river. And he's like sitting there on this ledge across the river. Like there's a three foot drop, you know, sand and then there's water. And you can see that bastard over there. And he's guys in my dog, Jimmy. I said, yeah, man, freaking. I held my dog back and that dog goes blazing across there just like it. I was like, dude, this guy's dog is really goddamn good. Big old rascal. He jumps over the top of it, like climbs up the bank over the goose, doesn't give a shit about that goose. <laughs> Gone. Just disappears. Oh, like, what? Yeah, this, this takes off. Like he's on the other side of the main river channel which is really deep. Like, it's not a pleasure just to roll across there. <clears throat> and he, he's out. Like, he's gone. Like, free willy. I'm escaping this cruel master. And this dude's out there, like, yelling, oh, he'll come back. You know, no problem. He'll be back. And a couple minutes go by, and no dog. And minutes and minutes go by, and no freaking dog. Well, I'm the only one the waiter's on. <clears throat> so I wave my ass clear across the river. I get to this goose that's half-ass crippled, goes down current into the snag, this old fallen-down tree. It's it's just not a cool spot to be hanging out. All of a sudden, I look over, and here's this dog sitting there on the bank, like, hey, man, you going to get that goose? Like, I can see it in his eyes. It's <laughs> like, well, yes, yeah, you're not going to get it. I'm, I'm going to go in there and get it. So I climb my ass down in there, and the dog's watching me do this and i'm like come on get him and he won't so i go down there i get this damn goose i come up the bank i'm like hey and the dog is gone again oh dude he he like is playing games with this and the dude's on the other side of the river yelling for his dog so he obviously sees him and like i'm behind the trees thinking shit dog took off he finally went across so i wade clear across did you get your dog? And he's like, well, no, he's over there by you. Didn't you get him? I said, well, I tried to get him. He wouldn't come. He took off. I thought you got him. We sat there for like an hour before that damn dog came back and swam across that river. 
And th- and that was pretty much the end of our hunt. It's well, like, yeah. I'm glad you got your dog back, but I'm scared to send your dog on another retrieve. We got three or four geese. Let's call that a hunt. Don't blame me there. <laughs> Did he say if that's like a normal thing for that dog and just kind of hit it from you or what? They never did. Oh, no, after that, yeah. I think he just wanted to see, like, he didn't realize we were actually really going to shoot birds. And he wanted to see if <laughs> if his dog would work, right? And later on, I'm like, dude, he walked right over that damn goose. Like, what, what the heck? He's like, oh, I, he doesn't really like geese. He, he'll bring back ducks. <laughs> oh, my Lord, Thank you like so much for bringing to a goose hunt. Yeah. Now, Daisy, though, your girl Daisy, that is a phenomenal dog. She made a four-minute, I recorded it. She made a four-minute retrieve today. It was pretty epic. Where'd it go? That, that, this goose, my uncle crippled this goose and sailed across the river and, like, took off running. Like, that son of a bitch ran. So we dropped two of them. So she hits the one in the mid-current, brings it back to me. And I, I, and then, I don't know, I probably took, took a minute or so. And in that time, that goose on the other side of the bank must have been shagging big time because when I sent her, it took four minutes when she finally took off and hit the bank for her to track that damn goose down and bring him back. She got him. She's a hell of a dog. And all that one, that mallard we shot when I was out there, I mean, that thing went clear halfway through that field behind your pit back there. And I thought there was no way in hell she even saw that thing, but she marked it. And how long do you think that retreat was? Oh, that, that was the same deal. Four or five minutes, pretty easy. That was- like she amazes me. Like she does that sometimes. And I don't really do much. She's just a badass, I guess. You stand there and wait. Yeah. Just patiently to tell her thank you. when she comes back. <laughs> What a, like she's training us almost. Yeah. Hell of a dog and a hell of a model for the camera. I know. She has. I probably took more pictures of Daisy out there than I did any other dogs this whole year. Yeah, she looks pretty good, doesn't she? In the in the element, that's for sure. Very good. Especially that. You know, there's there's only a few dogs that are real pretty, and and I got lucky. She's she's pretty. Oh, yeah, she's got the eyes, and she's got that nice yellow coat with a little bit of orange mixed in, like, on the ears and stuff. She's a gorgeous dog. That's Yeah. That was always, like, so we just got olives seven months now. And that was, like, I always heard people say to, like, like if somebody was walking by with a dog, or you always hear people say, wow, that's a nice-looking dog. Like, I, that was, I, when I, I knew when I wanted a dog, I wanted to get a dog where people would be like, hey man, you got a nice looking dog. And yeah, pretty dog. It's finally like I've heard I've had countless people be like, wow, that is a good looking dog. Yeah. I'm like, dude, thank you so much. It means so much to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think we've just about covered all our bases here. Jimmy, is there anything else you'd like to add? Go be red. Oh, yeah. You heard it here first. 
you guys are not supposed to say you're supposed to say go big red back. That's how that works. Go big red, go big red. I'll say it once, go big red. Better than big. There it is. All righty, Jimmy. Well, thank you for uh, joining episode two. It was a pleasure talking to you. You're awesome. You bet. Thank you guys for having me. Anytime. You guys check out Goosebusters LLC on Instagram. Uh, if you haven't, uh, look up me and Colin and uh, check us out on Instagram as well. Um, we're going to have some pretty awesome guests coming up here in the near future. And uh, just want to thank you all for the huge support to the first episode. We had probably 120 or so plays on the first episode. So it's huge for us to see how you guys share our stuff. So keep that up and we'll be able to keep making content. Oh, yeah, I'll say it one more time. Go Big Red. Go Big Red! <laughs> All righty, we'll talk to you later, Jimmy.